Hello, Lot here. Just wanting you all to know that this episode has been previously recorded and posted. So I hope you enjoy it or re-enjoy it. Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Clotho, Clotho Spindle on Tumblr, joined tonight with Kama. Hi, I'm Kama, Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. And new guest, Joy. Hi, I'm Joy. You can find me on Tumblr at Fiction is My Way Through Life. (laughs) Cool. Thanks for (laughs) being on tonight. (laughs) I like it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I do like that. I like that that handle. (laughs) Okay, tonight we're going to go over Catelyn's sixth point of view chapter and uh, A Clash of Kings in this episode. Spoiler warnings as usual for A Song of Ice and Fire and the show Game of Thrones. As Edmure departs Riverrun, Brienne looks miserable and Catelyn notes that she prefers to dress in mail and boiled leather instead of the gowns that Catelyn had ordered sewn to her measurements. She kept Brienne with her as Edmure had taken every abled body man with him to the fords. Brienne asks what they should do now and Catelyn replies, Our duty. Catelyn goes briefly to the sept to pray, and afterwards Brienne pauses by the brew house for a moment to listen to Ryman the Rhymer sing of Lord Daramond at the Bloody Meadow. At the end of the song, Brienne states that fighting is better than waiting, and Catelyn reminds her that knights die in battle, too. To which Brienne responds, ladies die on childbirth, and no one sings songs about them. And I'll read uh, the rest of the passage here. Children are a battle of a different sort, Catelyn started across the yard. A battle without banners or war horns, but no less fierce. Carrying a child, bringing it into the world, your mother will have told you of the pain. I never knew my mother, Brienne said. My father and had ladies, a different lady every year, but... Those were no ladies, Catelyn said. As hard as birth can be, Brienne, what comes after is even harder. At times I felt as though I am being torn apart. Would that there were five of me, one for each child, so I might keep them all safe. And who would keep you safe, my lady? Her smile was wan and tired. Why, the men of my house, or so my lady mother taught me, my lord father, my brother, my uncle, my husband, they will keep me safe. But while they are away from me, I suppose you must fill their place, Brienne. Brienne bowed her head. I shall try, my lady. She must have had such a... That reference to her father, it always kills me. Like trying To Brienne's father or Cat's father? Yeah, well, Brienne's. Just, you know... An endless succession of girlfriends. I thought the little bit about the singer that she's describing with, you know, the purple eyes, like, mm-hmm. is that, is that, that's the Targaryen, you know, like, kind of <laughs> pings me a little bit, like, wait, is that her, you know, because, we, you know, is that her mom? We know that Brienne was, you know, that she had younger sisters, I believe, so, you know, she was would have been old enough, maybe, to have some slight memory of her mother. I'm tinfoiling, I know, but oh, um, yeah, I thought it always was... makes me wonder. Huh. I didn't think about that. I always thought it was some random. <laughs> I mean, it probably is thing. some random, but, you know, it's just anytime you hear purple eyes, it's sort of, hmm. Oh, yeah, I that's assumed it was one of the girlfriends. I didn't think it could yeah. be the mother. Maybe hmm. you're onto something. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think I want to say that Brienne was like four when her mom died. And I, I don't think that there's actually anything in the text that tells us her, her exact age. 
But, uh, yeah. You know, that's young enough. It's like of an age that she could have a vague memory, maybe. And we don't know. Does she say how she died? We don't know that, right? Well, if she, she died, it's presumed, I think, in childbirth yeah. or something. But Oh, okay. So she wasn't old. Then it would have been in childbirth. Yeah. And then this chapter does, or it also makes me, or this passage, I guess, makes me wonder, you know, is this foreshadowing for Brienne? Like, is this the battle that she's going to have? Oh, oh, yeah. But at the same time, yeah. you know, she also has a magic sword, you know, so it's kind of which which way is she going? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, because the problem with George is that sometimes he forgets the mothers yeah. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ned's mother, I think, was, like, never mentioned for forever, and people, like, had all these theories, and then he was just like, no, she's just a random star cousin. <laughs> so... <laughs> He had to make so, it, like, the most, like, insignificant he could, you know? Like, not that it's your people. It was like he read all the theories and was like, no. <laughs> but, yeah, for Brienne, it's interesting because I guess I think it's interesting because it then almost goes with that um, that passage in Feast when she's both sad and relieved not to have been that sort of, like, um, typical woman with the family and the children yeah. So it would be interesting if this was the sort of like origin of when he started to have that this duality within her. And I guess when thinking of end games, I I'm so conflicted of what I want or if I want both. Is that even possible? <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know I know a lot of people don't like them. But I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to her her having or being pregnant at some point. Like I don't, not even in a fluffy shipper way, but just I don't think it would be a, too far out the you know, off the track for her, but I think there's also echoes of this passage in Feast when she thinks about, you know, Kat asking her if she ever sang for Renly or her father and she's uh, thinking, yeah. Oh, but I wanted to and it's again I you know, it's a really oh. good word, the duality of her. Yeah. That yeah. for all of her hoarseness and and her fierceness, she is like this big kind of softy underneath it. Yeah, and just, you know, I thought it was interesting too, um, when she talks about how miserable, you know, they sort of in the beginning here, how miserable she looked and she wanted, you know, she doesn't like just sitting around and you could tell it's really weighing on her as she sort of follows Kat around as she goes to the Sept and, you know. It's funny, I think of Kat as being, you know, she's very much this traditional mold of um, of a highborn lady and inside though, I mean, she is steel, like we talk about you know, Stannis and Robert, you know, which is the steel and the iron and I mean, Kat is kind of the steel inside. Well, she meant, and, yeah. And Brienne, you know, who's so outwardly not the model, is actually like this kind of nurturing mother inside. And she's, you know, and that reminded me of the part that I sort of, you know, I didn't get into too much. But after she says our duty, she thinks about things and how she thinks about how her father's, (laughs) that she may have been the favorite because she was always the one who sort of towed the line and did her duty. And, you know, her Edmure came around younger than her and she lost two brothers. So she sort of felt like she had that role. So she does come off as very dominant in that family. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so the stereotypical <laughs> oldest child. Like, not even. She totally is. Yeah. She's so there. Yeah. Like, and Edmure is so the baby of the family. And Liza's so the middle child. I mean, like, he nailed that. Well, did we talk so about that? <laughs> that this is like the Jan Brady of the Tully family. Yeah. I mean, wasn't there, there this recent study? I don't know if we talked about that on podcast or I heard it somewhere else where the, the oldest child is the smartest or has the highest IQ. So. Yes. Oh, totally yeah. believe um, that. Yeah. <laughs> All that does is reveal who the oldest child is. <laughs> the people that read it. At least on podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because the oldest child basically ends up teaching the younger children, and teaching helps you learn and understand better. Mm-hmm. Makes so sense. basically, that's what happens, <laughs> uh, which is kind of unfair, but also makes total sense. <laughs> it does. Just the way just the world. Me or does Cat seem a little bitter with the I always did my duty bit? She did. Uh, I think so. Yes, especially when you talk about when she's like, oh, uh, Brienne asked her who's supposed to protect her. She's like, well, I was told it was the man in my family. But they're all basically massive disappointments. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> a little bit salty right there when I was reading. I was like, wow, she's getting her zingers in there because obviously they're not. she's making a point that they're not around. <laughs> they're all gone. And then, I mean, obviously we know where it ends. And it's just they're just all making mistake after mistake after mistake. And. She does some too, but it's so reactionary to just everyone around her just going AWOL for some reason. That's got to be so frustrating in that sort of societal makeup where you, where so much of the burden is put on you, but you can't, in so many ways, you can't act on it or you can't take credit for it and everything else. And once again, she really doesn't seem like, you know, Brandon was anything she was all that enthused about. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I was thinking, and call me crazy, which you probably will after I say this, but I, you know, I was thinking, like, who actually would make, like, good, a good pair, you know, in that era of, um, of a Song of Ice and Fire characters, and I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, Cat and Robert would have not made a terrible pair. Oh, you don't think? No, hmm. I think, like, she was kind of, she was a hard ass, and she would have. She would have been loyal to him, and she wasn't in love with anyone else, so she wouldn't have, you know, that wouldn't have been an issue. But she also would have, like, you know, there's some guys that just need, like, a girl to tell them what to do. I, yeah, I guess I could see him being that and guy. I feel like Ross I wonder if he was... is that guy. Yeah, I mean. Although if she has a problem with John, I cannot yeah. imagine her being all that enthused the, about his. The bastards. Well, because he, by the time he's engaged to Liana, he already has a couple, doesn't he? I think he's got Maya and one of the others. Cat would have cut his dick off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she. I don't. I don't know. I just there's like they have some energy about them that's somewhat similar to me, Hmm. and I think she would have nagged him into behaving a bit better. Um, well, again, I'd point you to his wife. <laughs> yeah, but I think Cersei just didn't give it. Doesn't you know? Didn't give a crap about him. If he would have killed himself with alcohol ten years earlier, that would have been just fine with her. I I don't know. I just don't. I don't no. know. I think I think he's just too. He's a horn dog at heart. <laughs> well, I mean, he's a man who needs a purpose. He needs to be at war. He's not really a good peacetime guy. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if she'd have. I mean, she's. I she definitely that... would be oh, like more loyal, and I think she definitely does have that edge. But I don't know if it's the right edge. Yeah, it'd yeah. be interesting. I think politically, I, don't think, I think no matter who he was with, he was always going to compare them unfavorably to Liana. Yeah, I, think I was kind of in my mind it. envisioning a. You know, he never was engaged to Liana. Like it just, well, you know. Yeah, well, to her, he was patrolled to cat. <laughs> then sure, that might work. I don't know, we, but I think if if you're going with, you know, instead of Cersei marrying him after the thing, yeah, and it was Catelyn. I don't see that working, but yeah, I mean that's a different story. In my Sorry, head, I totally derailed us. 
What were you gonna say, Joy? <laughs> no, I was saying I I think that's I hope that's a common thing, but in my head Brandon and Robert are basically like the Stark and Baratheon version of each other. <laughs> and seeing Brandon's behavior, I'm just thinking, well, that would have been the same with Kat mm. and Robert because he would have just been like, oh, my God, she does what people tell her to do. She's here. And she's like, yes, my lord. And he would have been like, ah, that's boring. And found, found a wench somewhere and complained to Ned. Oh, my God. I, I just had a thought. Maybe he found her pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Robert doesn't have any depth. <laughs> that's a good point. With, uh, with Brandon, I mean, it would have been like, like, uh, oh, what's, oh, I was going to say, like, um, Barbary Dunstan would have been his Camilla Parker Bowles. I mean, oh my God, <laughs> Barbara Dunstan wishes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true too. I mean, <laughs> no, sorry. But, I mean, basically, they are. You're not wrong. <laughs> like, it's actually a really good comparison. <laughs> but who doesn't want to see that cut fight though? Oh. <laughs> I mean, it is a shame that George created Barbary after he like killed everyone that would have been interesting for her to talk to. So yeah, that's traumatized Eon even more. <laughs> that was a really funny thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, later that day, Master Vyman brings a letter from Lord Meadows, the new Castellan of Storm's End. Sir Courtney Penrose is dead, and the castle garrison had sworn their swords to Stannis. Catelyn sends a raven with this information to Rob, who is currently marching towards the crag, the seat of House Westerling. The letter makes no mention of Robert's highborn bastard, Edric Storm, and she wonders why Stannis would want him so badly. Catelyn considers that maybe he will parade him about as proof that Cersei's children are illegitimate. She thinks how fiercely protective Ned had been of Jon, how Sir Courtney had given up his life for Edric, and yet Roose Bolton's bastard meant less to him than a dog. Only three days passed, Roos had wit- written that he was well rid of him because any true-born sons by his new wife would never be safe while Ramsay was alive. Sir Desmond Squire suddenly dashes into the room to alert them that Lannisters are across the river. The Lannisters retreat after a short skirmish, return during the night, only to be defeated a second time, and finally a rider with a message from Lord Malister brings word of another wind six miles to the south. And I just split it up here so we could discuss these little points before moving on to the rest of the battle. Um... I'm sorry, I'm blanking on what I was going to say. So I probably was just shutting <laughs> off. That's okay. It was right. Oh, so this is where that the the um the book storyline is so confusing with Reek and um, Ramsey and whatnot because at this yeah. point I think we actually would think that Roos would believe that Ramsey is dead. I think right? he does. Yeah. So yeah. and he probably is like super happy as you know as happy as Roos can be about it. Yeah, I forgot so about this. This is like, <laughs> like happiest moment. Like Ramsey's dead. He's his life looks like, good. good. Sex with Walda. She's writing him the cute letters. Like this is his like time. He's like playing both sides against each other. Like yeah, it's prime Bolton era. What a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, really this is it for him. Oh, oh man. Yeah, I don't think he's faking it. I I think he, as far as he's concerned. Because I don't think he cares one way or the other about Ramsay. I think it's like, oh, okay, he's dead. You know, I don't think I think I don't think that's feigned. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Barbary Dustin on the other hand, of course, is you know, <laughs> is like super pissed to find out that he's not really dead. But so how 
how long after does he find out that he is alive? Is this not... I'm trying to think of the timeline of this. Where's Theon at this point? Um, the next chapter is Bran being uh, with Theon arriving oh, okay. at the Thank castle. You. So, okay. yeah. So it's not too They're long. They're not there yet. Yeah. Okay. So, Rika, or I'm sorry, um, uh, Ramsay at this point is undercover, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think, yeah. So he legitimately doesn't, yeah. Which makes the union with, you know, Walda, like, even more urgent now to, you know, get his heir and everything. Oh, just so, and it so foreshadows, like, I was thinking, oh, right there, that's where all the, the uh, you know, assuming that the show was, you know, accurate, that, you know, Walda's <laughs> The way it ends on. in, um, yeah. the way it ends in dance, I kind of think the next, I mean, mm-hmm. that that was, because she's frightened mm-hmm. and he's yeah. yelling or, not yelling, but they're arguing, and mm. I don't think Walda. Oh God, I hate this. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I mean, because George is never going to give us wins, as far as I'm concerned, she's still alive. <laughs> she's going to live forever. forever. <laughs> uh, but I mean, if you go yeah. with the way it's it's presented, it's it's like there something is going to go down real soon. Yeah, so. it's pretty much spelled out right here. Okay, uh, Catelyn said. Did you want to oh, go? go ahead. I was just well, going to read just, the next one. I wanted to point out, like, I don't know if you're going to read it, but, like, Brienne kind of getting into the strategy of what Tywin is doing, I thought was interesting, because I think sometimes the reader or the fandom kind of portrays Brienne as really slow. No, I and, wasn't. I'm you know, glad you're bringing this up. No, this is good. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I had the same note. I was like, interesting, because <laughs> I did not remember it. Because for some reason, when I remember this chapter, because I remember the line about the fist, but for some reason, I thought oh, yeah. it was some random castle person that said that. I didn't remember. It was Brienne. And I was like, oh, Brienne. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you learn this? <laughs> and then when she's watching the battle, too, she, you know, it's like she she sort of makes this remark that now, you know, that it's ha- like she's so like it's mm-hmm. not just the fighting aspect. She's into the, the strategy. That's cool. Right. Like she knows what's ha- yeah, yeah, she knows what's going on. Okay, Catelyn sends wine to Lord Cleus in his cell, and by the time she pays him a visit, he is very drunk. He tells her that the only thing Tyrion has agreed on is the exchange of Sansa and Arya in return for his brother. Edmure has already told Cleus that Rob will never agree to such terms, and Catelyn confirms this. When she asks about her daughters, she can tell he is searching for a lie. She reminds him that he forfeited protection of the peace banner when he played them false. He finally says that he saw Sansa and she looked drawn, but he did not see Arya. He had met only with Tyrion, who told him Cersei was indisposed. She tells him the Lannisters are liars and the dwarf is the worst of them all and sweeps out of the cell. So Kat has her one move with prisoners, apparently, which is to send them wine to get them drunk. <laughs> she, it was a smart move, but it's because she intimidated him enough. To get what yeah, she I mean, I think it's more of the. I mean, Cleos doesn't seem like someone who requires a tremendous <laughs> amount of intimidation. <laughs> yeah, she probably could. I mean, this is the sad thing is when you reread these chapters, it's like you know, Cleos is like he's a perfectly decent dude. Like, there's you know, he's he just, just try, born to the wrong family, right, yeah. and he's trying to be honorable in you know, he's trying to be honorable according to his you know the code of his. Of his world and you know frankly he is being really like he's being extra honorable and i mean generally speaking pretty nice like he's actually yeah. pretty nice to brienne and the mm. you know before he dies like kind of 
upset with the way Jamie's treating her. And yeah, I mean, he's just like this like super decent guy that like gets killed and then like no one cares about it. I mean, you know, Jamie makes I think he makes up a bit of a lie to tell Jenna. But I mean, yeah, he's just kind of like left on the side of a road somewhere. I know it's really sad. He's like in a nest of vipers. He just does it. You know, I think he yeah. tried to do his best, but not good enough. <laughs> just like this, like, kind of dim, you know, this nice kind of dim dude just trying to live life as a Frey mm-hmm. and a Lannister, you know? Well, and I don't even know if that he's that stupid. He's just, he's just not sharp enough for the situation he's in. Yeah. And I don't honestly know, though, if he had been, let's say a lot more clever if that would have gotten him any farther. I mean, that's half the, I mean, we could, I mean, what you could spit and hit, you know, six dozen characters who are in the same boat, you know, basically Mm -hmm. decent people or who are inoffensive people who are caught up in something, you know, some poor servant girl who had the mistake, you know, misfortune Mm -hmm. to be working for Cersei or somebody who. I will say though, those Cersei servant girls, they last. Like Dorcas and the other one, like nothing ever, you know, nothing happens. Well, I'm thinking of the one who ends up. Uh, yeah, there's the one, but oh, they but, send I her mean, down to Clymer. There's something. nothing. Yeah. It's not like they're plotting, you know, overthrow or they're evil or. I mean, they're just kind of mm-hmm. like people who are caught in a bad situation. I think that's his tragedy. It's like you had a low, a mid-level job in the White House. And you're a non-political appointee. Let's say you're like a non-political appointee. And you you know you started your job in like 20 like 2011 or whatever. And you know you got 5 years. You got over 5 years of vacation built up. You, you need you know, two more to be fully vested in the retirement right. plan. It's <laughs> like the federal pension and stuff. You're just trying to like make it through your day. <laughs> <laughs> and then Spicer grabs your phone and wants to see all your tweets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he makes you cry in meetings. <laughs> oh, For man. the record, I don't believe any of us are the rogue POTUS Twitter. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Look for those little Game of Thrones like what Easter eggs thrown in the <laughs> What's that be? Oh, <laughs> oh good. Okay. Cat- <laughs> Catelyn feels a pang of envy as Brienne falls into step beside her. She thinks answers must never be farther away than a sword for Brienne. They take a late supper in the hall. Ryman the Rhymer is singing about Rob's victory at Oxcross. Brienne tells Kat that there will always be a, there was always a singer at Evenfall Hall and that she had learned all the songs by heart. Catelyn responds that Sansa did the same, though few singers ever cared to make the journey to Winterfell. And I'll read this little bit. Did you sing for your father, Catelyn asked? Brienne shook her head, staring down at her trencher as if to find some answer in the gravy. For Lord Renly? The girl reddened. Never. I, his fool... He made cruel japes sometimes, and I... Someday you must sing for me. I... Please, I I have no gift. Brienne pushed back from the table. Forgive me, my lady. Do I have your leave to go? Catelyn nodded. The tall, ungainly girl left the hall with long strides, almost unnoticed amidst the revelry. May the gods go with her, she thought, as she returned listlessly to her supper. That was such a little moment, but it really... I love this... This is just so interesting to me. Like, I feel like, and maybe I'm reading into it, but you get so much in these tiny moments with Brienne. Well, it's a good yeah. reminder because I think, like, once she meets Jamie, 
that relationship is so at the forefront of everything that you kind of forget how close she and Kat really were and how, mm. you know, relatively deep that relationship is. So, you know, the betra- the betrayal that Stoneheart might see as well as, you know, Brienne's feelings of obligation towards her, you kind of start to understand it a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic, and I don't know that I... I've thought about it too much before, but just reading these, you see, you know, going through that trauma that they both went through, witnessed together, obviously a little more intensely for Brienne with Renly dying, but I mean, now Kat's seeing her father die. It's, it, it is, I mean, they're getting, you, you feel like all these people are sort of moving around them and there's two sort mm-hmm. of finding places yeah. where they, uh, I don't know what the word would be, sort of meet. Like or the lost of, souls kind yeah. of. And I think also Kat, um, she's thinking about Sansa, so she feels guilty. And there's this mm-hmm. girl who's still quite young, which mm-hmm. I always forget. And um, she's almost like the perfect mix of Sansa and Arya. And these are the two that are unaccounted for. You know, Sansa seen g- glimpse, glimpses of. And Arya, who knows? Like, I mean... If I were Kat, I would just be like, she's clearly dead because there's no reason mm. that for an entire year I haven't heard anything from that one child. And, you know, and she sees this poor child who, you know, just told her that she had lost her mother. And she's like, maybe you can sing for me, you know, like maybe we can do these little things because I think Kat also is feeling lonely. And at first she might have thought, oh, there's another woman with me, but Brienne sort of also embraces so many characteristics of the man in that society. She's still quite alone. Mm-hmm. But that little bit that reminds her of Sansa might be something that she's like, okay, maybe we can bond over this. Yeah. And she doesn't have to do any of that. Like, that's the kind of, you know, I think cool thing about this relationship. She doesn't have, you know, Kat could sort of just view her as another, you know, another knight that's sort of following along with her. But yeah, she does make that overture. Do you think that Kat sees her as a daughter? No. Yeah, I don't think I so think either. Not. I think there's if she's too much. I think Kat is too much into the traditional kind of like blood related. Yeah, yeah and gender roles and all that. But I think there. I think Joy is absolutely right that I think she's seen. I mean, she's already suffered so much loss, and I think she's seen characteristics in Brienne that you know. Are, are hitting like the right note, so to speak, for her. But I don't think she sees her as a surrogate daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, if she if she did see her like that, she wouldn't have sent her away. No. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. No. <laughs> On a totally frivolous note, that whole "Did you ever sing for your father?" thing over and over again. Okay. Now I'm going to make a pop culture reference. No one but me will know. But there's like a 1970s film with Gene Hackman when he was young called I Never Sang for My Father. And every time they said that, I just flashed to this movie. Sorry. <laughs> I like I like your I like the like the movie, uh, the movie trivia, you know, that's cool. <laughs> OK, and, and we end up with uh, eight days later. Catelyn is sitting with her father when Edmure's messenger arrives with word of victory. Lord Tywin had tried to force dozens of crossings, but was beaten back at each. Lord Lefford was drowned. Strong Boar had been taken captive. Sir Adam Marbrand was forced to retreat thrice. Gregor Clegane was wounded, but, but escaped, and was left with 
and what was left of Tywin's forces were marching southeast. She cautiously allows word to be spread throughout the castle. She pulls out a map of the Riverlands and studies it by candlelight. While the sounds of celebration ring throughout the castle, she ponders all the battles they had won, but thinks, but if we are winning, why am I so afraid? And that concludes the chapter. So I thought that was a really... I love that image of her with the candles and her father, you know, her father's in the bed dying. And Why is she so afraid at this mm. point? Maybe because things are going too well. Do you think that's that sort of fear that maybe things are going too well? It's too easy. It's too, it seems like they're just winning, winning. I don't know. Because, you know, I think I don't really want to get into the whole strategy of Edmure because I know at some point we'll actually cover the chapter <laughs> yeah. where he's getting reamed yeah. out. But, <laughs> you know, I don't think there's any point at this point for... Um, you know, for Kat to see a negative in this. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I think she just feels like it's victories, but not where she needs them. Hmm. Yeah. She just thinks, like, ask. okay, Tywin is back where he was, but that doesn't mean, like, we're not closer to King's Landing. Right. Rob is still mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea what he's doing. And Like, all she wants are, she just wants Sansa and Arya and Rob all back at Winterfell. Like, that's her victory. Yeah. That is really the perfect description of that. Victories, but not where she wants them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sums it up really nicely. <laughs> I mean, I would say, like, sometimes when things are going really badly, you don't have time to think about how desperately badly they're going. Um, you don't have time to be sad sometimes. And when you get a breather or when things start to look up, that's sometimes when people fall apart or start to sort of, like, that sadness hits them. Yeah. God, this is a depressing chapter. <laughs> Super. De- I mean, just you know, you know, her next chapter that we'll read is pretty iconic. But, um, you know, also in between there, you know, she finds out, you know, that she thinks her boys are dead. So I mean, it's just this is like the last, like the last moment, you know, that she's has any semblance of, I think, hope. And not even much hope. Oh, yeah, do you mm-hmm. know, I think about the whole book, even like even since that, like there's this uh, there's this sort of foreboding in her thoughts yeah. and in the chapters that sort of run through each of them. And maybe that's because you know when you and again it doesn't sound like she had a necessarily an easy life, but all the recent brand falling out, you know, thrown out the window mm-hmm. and all Ned losing, you know. Oh. I think she thought, like, everything was, like, coming up Catelyn until, you know, it was until they're headed to the Eyrie with Tyrion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they get attacked, and then she starts, like, or, you know, she actually listens to Tyrion and then realizes that, oh, yeah, this doesn't make any sense, but she doesn't stop there, you know. And she has that nagging doubt. Straight back to where she was before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With, you know, he's the worst of them all, and she knows he's not. I mean, she doesn't want to see yeah, I wanted yeah. to ask you guys, do you actually think she thinks what she says to Kios? No. I don't because, know. I mean, so, she yeah. risks, you know, as Jamie points yeah. out, she's freeing Jamie on Tyrion's word. Yeah. But that she knows. Is, yeah, but that was also odd because it was like, oh, well, you know Rob is making terms on the basis that he knows they will be, you know, not agreed to. And then same for Tyrion. So I guess I just thought that she had thought all of the plan after Rickon and Bran were supposedly dead. But now that it's before, I was like, well, that makes even less sense because before I could just put it on sort of like grief. But now I'm just like, 
oh, but then I, but like, yeah, uh, well, I wondered if that was sort of lashing out or like sort of a show for Cleus. I don't know. I was thinking about that too. I, I didn't. Unless, I mean, all of this sort of, I mean, well, not all of it, but a lot of this, it, it all started to happen when she took uh, Tyrion hostage. Right. So uh-huh. she needs mm-hmm. in her mind to believe that because and if she didn't, she made one mother of a mistake. I mean, people uh. are dead because of this. Um, mm. There's a war going. I mean, there's oh. every possible. Th- I mean, there are other reasons why they're you know going to war yeah, here, but um, and and not the least of which is Ned. But I kind of wonder if she. De- I mean, deep down, she's got to know she, you know, made Royal a mistake yeah. there. But I think she kind of needs to believe that he's guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <sighs> <laughs> that would be good. You know, it's just like it's such a it's such a downer of a chapter. It really is, and it the, the it was just these breaking of these little almost little scenes and little moments all throughout. And yeah, and George was being particularly sadistic, I think, because it ends with "If we are winning, why am I so afraid?" And then there's the brand chapter. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, like, oh, here's why. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I mean, George is pretty friggin' sadistic to Cat the entire way. Like oh, all, man. you know, she thinks all of her children are dead. She doesn't even get to die. She <laughs> like just every, you know, every horrible thing. Oh, it really Ugh. is. And then when you think, and I guess that's what you know, as you grow up and you read stories, you always there's sort of this thing where if the characters go through all these things and something, you know, and that's the it's sort of that inspiration thing. Like, we go through all these things and something great comes out of it and it doesn't. <laughs> like, he gives us, like, the absolute, like, no, it just keeps getting shittier. I mean, the only <laughs> thing is that, you know, four of her five kids are alive. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. she's not, really. Yeah, that's almost worse because <laughs> right. she's basically Motherless children. suffering. Yeah. All this stuff has happened. She's lost her soul and she's like a shell of a zombie or whatever. Oh, yeah, I wasn't you even know, thinking about that. You really didn't have to do that. I know. I wasn't even thinking about Lady Stoneheart. I know. I had insult to even more injury. She can't just rest in peace. You know, like, I'm pretty... I think I've been pretty obviously not a Lady Stoneheart fan ever. But I will say, I mean, it's ob- to me it's, like, obvious from the start that he had, you know, he had that mm-hmm. or something like that planned for Kat. And knowing in the original outline that she went north of the wall and was killed, then I, you know, I think she was a white or something. Yeah, yeah. she was white. Yeah. Or, you know, there's some like undead like afterlife for her that was always, you know, always the there. Cards. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it was never gonna turn out well for her. So yeah. now I gotta wonder what his relationship with his mom was. <laughs> 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 Well, given all the dead mothers in the story, yeah, like, geez, wouldn't you feel like kind of bad if you were, if his, I don't know if his mother is, you know, probably not still living, but, you know, you know, when he started these books, she probably was. And was oh, like, God. do you like hate me? Like, what's going on? Do we need to go to family therapy? Oh, yeah. I know. This hopefully these books were his, th- yeah, I was going to say, hopefully the books were his therapy. <laughs> they started out as therapy journals. <laughs> Although, given again, given some of the relationships in here, you got because <laughs> I don't think he has a sister because that would just no, be he like, does. horrifying. He does. I remember someone actually <laughs> posting online? So does George R. Martin have a sister? And people were like, "Yep." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> There's some nice brother sister relationship. <laughs> Maybe it's like Sam and his sister. Maybe it's something. Yeah. Yeah, because oh, he has <laughs> he has two sisters, okay. Darlene and Janet. I wasn't expecting Janet as a name for <laughs> <laughs> what if they I were like everyone's going wait who's <laughs> named Darlene or... yeah <laughs> oh I had something completely meaningless but there was someone whose name in this chapter was Jason and I was like come on oh, oh yeah Jason the Jason Malister yeah. yeah I know that's one of those like like, like, like on the show they had Carl Jason just seems like that like Carl <laughs> Every once in a while, there's like a Paul or something, you know. And didn't he Actually, spell? He spelled it like a normal Jason too, right? Yeah. He didn't spell it like yeah. J A Y or J A Y in there or something. <laughs> no, it's, it's like just, when they had no, that character on the show played by um, Ian McShane called Ray. I was Ray. like, what the hell? Ray, oh, Ray. Like immediately, I had to spell it with like five different consonants because like R H A E or something. But yeah, he'll do that every once in a while. You'll be like, okay, like um, and then just forgot that book, the Song of Ice and Fire, the history thingy. Like there's there's a Lannister named Marla. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just sort of like okay. <laughs> Wait, is it the Tully line when there's like Elmo and and Grover? Like... Yes. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh, didn't no. he? He actually didn't he auction off? Um, he'll take your name and kill you in the winds. Like oh, he auctioned it off for a donation to awesome. the Wolf Foundation. Oh, I would love if like some like. Uh, what, what could be the most bland <laughs> like non or modern name I already have a namesake and she's a Lannister like so. oh yeah Joy Madison yeah <laughs> that relates to the RPG episodes I have a fondness for Joy so watch the R- listen to the RPG episodes so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening to you guys out of sequence so I'm really confused. oh okay <laughs> oh boy <laughs> I know that is really <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's just me. Well, that's good. If we could, if we could be listened to, that's nice to know. If we could, you know, you could listen to, you know, one here and there, and it, it still sounds okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we have some mail this week, Kama? We do. Um, there's a message from me because you got something wrong. Oh, um, I love it. I love I it. Get read mail. the whole email out. I just want to point out that Walda is not Walder's grand. Is is Walda? Is not Walder's daughter. She's his granddaughter. Oh, she's Merritt's daughter, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. okay. oh. Merritt has some cool kids, like Gate House Amy, Fat Walder. Like, those are some awesome. <laughs> and one actually, of Walder's is his, isn't I it? Think the little <laughs> I think Walder. I think Little Walder's the, the crazier his. one is his. Yeah, little. Big Walder's the good one, and little the little Walder's the bad one. Well, comparatively good. <laughs> um, Big Walder's. All right. Well, I think isn't it kind of implied that Big Walder killed Little Little Walder? Yeah, but Little Walder was a dick. All right then. And um, the restaurant okay, being so, a dick is justification for getting killed. Uh, the rest of mine we don't need to read. Um, okay, we did get a message from uh, Maxine S, who I believe wrote into us last time. And she said, hi again, ladies. So, yes, I was completely and totally desperate for a song of ice and fire content. Laugh out loud. But I don't want that to take away from how good the podcast is. 
You guys are hilarious and bring up very good points about the books. The Jamie and Brienne thing doesn't bother me as much as I thought it would. As much. (laughs) We love you. Don't worry. Uh, (laughs) I just finished the Duncan Egg episodes, and I actually have a much bigger issue with the rampant Targaryen hate. Oh. Yes, there won't be any Danny rereads anytime soon. But it's cool. Love hearing different views. Mm-hmm. Just listening to people who agree with my views would be boring. I don't want to beat the Renly, uh, beat the dead Renly oh, horse. So I'll just say that I would rank the five kings as of the time right before Renly dies like this. Number one, Rob. Number two, Stannis. Mm. Number three, Renly. Number four, Balon. Number five, Joffrey. Though Rob would move down after he marries Jane Westmoreland. <laughs> <laughs> Demerits for that. Yeah, well, that's a. I don't know. I'm I'm move. going that, Renly that's, and that's Rob. That's my comment, not hers. But I'm sorry. I go Renly and Rob. They're not hanging out with a red priestess who's burning people. Yeah. Sorry, I know you love him, but. I'm not going there. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I, I actually wrote Maxine back and just, I, I directed her towards our, if I look back, I am lost episode <laughs> where at least for 30 seconds, we were a Daenerys Targaryen podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, to be also, fair. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, Guile is probably the most pro, pro yeah. Danny person of all of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. I, I mean, I, I would don't think we're going to do a Danny reread unless I'd she's love to do a Danny reread. <laughs> up until I mean, her dance, her like early dance chapters can get a little bit tedious because of the names, if nothing else. Oh, but yeah. if you if you had to look at like the arcs of characters in just a Game of Thrones, like just that book, you know, Danny's storyline in that book is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Anyway. No, my silence. <laughs> no, starting, you know, starting a slave, What were you going to say, Joy? Are, are you are you a Danny fan, Joy? Or? Oh no, oh, okay. um, I'm not going to lie. I hate Targaryen. <laughs> so you were chicken, yeah, chicken, really? I, no, I just really can't stand up. Uh, but um, no, but to be fair, I think that the problem with Danny for me is that I only like her when she's in deep shit. <laughs> This is true. Personal safety. But like when it's just, oh, I'm sitting on my throne and, oh, Dario, where art thou? And I'm just like, you can just screw him, Danny. (laughs) Nobody cares. (laughs) (sighs) We also got As a a random aside, I saw a trailer for a movie with um, Michael Wiesman in it. He's just a really good-looking man. <laughs> I can't do it. Be sad. Miss him. <laughs> oh. All right. So we did get an iTunes review. Um, I am going to butcher this person's name because I have no idea how to say it. It's H I W W W W W. You? I don't know. Um, but he, whoever this is, says um, most inclusive podcast available. Five stars. Thank you to all the ladies and the few gents that are able to give us an unpretentious look at the wonderful world of A Song of Ice and Fire through the eyes of fans of Jamie and Brienne. And listening to you all, I have grown to love the depth of Jamie and Brienne. I now understand they are far more than just badass swordsman woman. 
I love the differing points of view of all the panelists. This unique podcast is different from all the others in that it feels like a family discussion around a dinner table. And Kama's the oldest sibling who's always right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This is the podcast that I get most excited for each week when I see it is available for download. Even though Jamie and Brianna are the main characters, you are not afraid to share your expertise about everything A Song of Ice and Fire. I feel like I am part of the crew, even though I can only listen and review. No one is afraid to share what they think, no matter how out there it may be. Yes. Uh, Which is due to you all supporting (laughs) each other. Thank you for the wonderful thoughts and theories that are shared each week. If you do not get what this podcast is doing, then it's too bad because it can really help you see that there are many ways of thinking about things and your way is not the only way. Aww. And that's our mail. Thank you. That that's was pretty sweet. darn nice. That was, yeah. I that one. I like Sorry, that one. I couldn't pronounce the name. Yeah, I, I, I love that she pointed out because that's personally what I, as a listener, the episodes that, you know, before I was on regu- regularly and when I'm just a listener when I'm not on, that's what I like about it. It sounds like conversational. Mm-hmm. I love it. So <laughs> I thought that was cool. Okay, uh, we're putting out a call for questions and comments for our March 21st episode. We're doing a Catelyn Tully books versus show. We're taking a deeper look at both the show and the book portrayals of Catelyn Tully Stark. So any comments, any questions you could think of in that vein, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So please send them in and you can reach us at close the door and at gmail.com on Tumblr at close the door and come here at tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Please like review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, Google music, wherever you listen. And please support us on Patreon at Close the Door to get episodes early. Uh, thanks, everyone. And, and thank you, uh, Joy, for guesting with us. Oh, thank you guys yeah, for thank having you, me. Joy. It was so fun. Yeah, it's cool. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Goodbye, everyone. I'm closing the door. Get out.